the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. From the Gospel. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees are a convenient target to scorn, given their constant conflicts with Jesus in the New Testament. The English language has even developed an adjective form of the word. To be pharisaical, according to Merriam-Webster, is to be marked by hypocritical, censorious self-righteousness. But the error of the Pharisees is frequently misunderstood. It is sometimes implied that in opposing the Pharisees, Jesus opposed all religious and moral rules. Therefore, anyone who stands for a moral principle that might lead someone to feel guilty will be accused of being pharisaical. In fact, Jesus opposed the Pharisees because he thought their religion cut corners and was too easy on its practitioners. In the two verses immediately preceding our gospel today, Jesus said this, quote, Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught that the rules developed, the tradition developed by the Pharisees actually served to avoid the true intent of the moral law. It therefore avoided the Torah rather than fulfilling it. Jesus explains his point using the example of the commandment against murder. He says it was said by those of old, don't murder. But I say, don't be angry. The root of the sin of murder is anger. Murder is visible, but anger can be hidden. I may be seething in anger against you, but I may restrain myself from actually killing you. I might claim to be righteous by the surface standard of the law, do not murder, but the anger in my heart reveals my sin. We might then object that Jesus made the commandments too hard. If anger is murder, and as he goes on to say, lust is adultery, if every interior defect of motive and thought is sin, who can keep the law? And the answer is no one. And that is the point that St. Paul, the converted Pharisee, came to understand, as he expresses it in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, quote, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And this lesson is embodied in our liturgy. We begin our liturgy, or at the beginning of our liturgy, is the summary of the law. 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> all the commandments depend upon these two. Thus, if you want to justify yourself by keeping the moral law, all you need to do is to love God and neighbor from the heart, everywhere, and at all times, without fail. Do this, Jesus said to the lawyer in the 10th chapter of Luke's Gospel, and you will live. But since no one can do this, Pharisaical religion begins to cut corners. It begins to pare down the definition of my neighbor to exclude my enemies or certain kinds of sinners or eventually everyone I just don't like. <clears throat> In contrast, true religion begins by accepting the verdict of the law, by acknowledging my sin and guilt. And this is why our response to the summary of the law is, Lord, have mercy upon us. In the liturgy, we move from conviction of sin to prayer for mercy, to the revelation of Jesus in the word, to confession, forgiveness, and the gift of new life in the sacrament, which raises us from death to life. And thus, the pattern of righteousness, of true righteousness, is an experience of death and resurrection. As the epistle says, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Dying and rising with Christ doesn't happen once for all at the single moment of baptism or in one experience of conversion. We are always dying to sin through conviction and honest confession. And we are always rising to new life through renewed forgiveness that comes to us through the Holy Spirit and the gift of life. This is the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. This is why the hallmark of true righteousness in Christ is a healthy spiritual discipline of self-examination. I say a healthy spiritual discipline of self-examination because God is not interested in our false sense of worthlessness. To feel guilty about everything and to act as though we can never do anything that is good is just as much of an error as is to think that we have no sin. Healthy self-examination guided by the Holy Spirit is the fruit of constant prayer. We pray and we ask God to reveal to us what is going on in our hearts. We watch, listen, and exercise patience as we wait for the answer. Spiritual direction can be of great help 
in this process of revelation and listening. Sometimes healthy self-examination reveals wounds or losses that need to be grieved and healed. These are often at the root of habitual and visible sins. The visible sin is the painkiller or the bodily symptom for the hidden wound. Sometimes self-examination reveals resentment, envy, jealousy, or regret. Each of these can be at the root of the sin of anger, and that anger can be directed either towards other people, but it's often directed towards ourselves. And these sins can result from a lack of prayer and a lack of a sense of vocation. If I am not experiencing a sense of God's presence in my life, and I am not clear about what God is calling me to do, I will tend to focus on what everyone else has and on what everyone else is doing. And it will become envious, jealous, angry, and discontented as a result. This habit of neglecting the first and great commandment to love God is the main sin of our world. It is the idolatry of living each day as if there is no God, no matter how good our life looks. When we do not honor God first with constant prayer, and we make no effort to be still and listen for his voice, life becomes a jumble of emotions and anxiety. Neglect of love for God an equally important neglect of God's love for us renders us unable to love our neighbors. Without honesty about what is really going on in our hearts, we cannot experience God's love for us as we are. And we cannot experience God's healing and grace in relationship to our real sins and our real struggles. Thus, to avoid our own interior sin and disorder is to avoid both ourselves and also to avoid God. See Adam and Eve hiding from God in Genesis 3, 8. Conversely, when we experience God's love for us as we are, bringing our real sins and our real wounds into his presence through prayer, we begin to experience a contagious grace. We become more generous in our love for others. Self-righteousness makes us judgmental. We justify ourselves and judge others and see ourselves as the good and the others as the bad. But the righteousness that comes from repentance and grace makes us agents of reconciliation with other sinners. Honesty about my own sins and struggles makes me sympathetic to the sins and struggles of others, makes me want to share with others the grace I have received from God. Jesus highlights the relational implications of true righteousness in the gospel when he says, 
if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift, go your way, first be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. This comes into our liturgy with, with the teaching, the prayer before the confession that we be in love and charity with our neighbors. That is, love and charity as much as it lies within us to affect that love and charity. That we do this before we receive communion. Our role as reconcilers continues after communion. We return to the world from the altar of God as witnesses and ambassadors for Christ. To do the good works God has prepared for each of us to walk in, to love God and neighbor from the heart. Thus, genuine righteousness neither avoids the verdict of the law, nor that is avoid the burden, the commandment to love. <clears throat> genuine righteousness begins with conviction of sin, repentance, and the experience of grace, but ends with a return to the commandment to love God and neighbor from the heart. Having been forgiven and reconciled with God, having received grace, we are now free in Christ, in the spirit, to love. As Romans chapter 8, verse 4 says, quote, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.